All right. <clears throat> we should now be at 1 o'clock, which means it's time for the Football Outsiders Radio Hour. Not on the radio and not always an hour, but you'll find it Thursdays on twitch.com slash fboutsiders at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, and then you'll find it on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network on all your favorite podcast apps. Hello, I'm Aaron Schatz, the Editor-in-Chief of Football Outsiders. Welcome to the Football Outsiders Radio Hour. I have my guests today, Mike Tanier and Derek Klassen, and we're here to talk about the NFL. Hi, guys. How are you today? Doing great. Happy Tebow Easter to everyone and to those who celebrate. He has risen. <laughs> but he is not here because we don't do a lot of Tebow on Football Outsiders. No, but we want to get those Twitch viewers, so we probably should put Tebow in our keywords. <laughs> Every day. Every day for the rest of our lives. I should walk around with Tebow keywords over my head. I like at the, least, the theory. At least until he inevitably gets cut again. Well, inevitably. But the theory <laughs> is that they gave him number 85 to sell jerseys, and then he's going to switch at some point to 15 <laughs> if Minshew gets traded so that they can sell more jerseys. That's great. Just have him wear a different number every time he takes the field. I, you know, why not? But, uh, like, yeah, not too much Tebow talk because the fact is he's going to catch three passes and throw two this season. Oh, but that one goal line touchdown is going to be, going to be monstrous, right? Say. Yes. Yeah, it's going to be it'll, – it'll be the third highlight to put in this highlight package. It'll be phenomenal. It'll be beautiful. The, the original goal of today's show was going to be to jump off an article that I was writing for ESPN Plus that I yeah. thought was coming out uh, today, but has not come out yet. And it was a projected top 10 picks of the 2022 NFL draft. And uh, it will not surprise you to learn that the Jacksonville Jaguars were in that top 10, <laughs> along with most of the... Um, most of the usual suspects, the Jets were number one, the Texans are number two, the Giants, the Bengals. Uh, so Todd McShay did his way too early 22, uh, 2022 mock draft a week or two ago, and his uh, mock draft was based on a power rankings by some of the uh, ESPN writers. Mm -hmm. So my, uh, my top 10 picks and their top 10 picks were the same except for one team. That it might surprise people that I had in my projected top 10 picks of the next draft. Yes. Titans? Not the Titans, although we do have them dropping from last year. But the big reason why Derek is on the show this week is because it's the Los Angeles Chargers, hmm. which is a lot of people's hot team for 2021, but which I had in our projected top 10 picks for the 2022 draft. So that gives us an opening to talk about the AFC West and the Chargers in general. And Derek, I know you've been watching a lot of Chargers over the last week or two, getting ready to write their chapter for Football Outsiders Almanac, our book that comes out in mid-July. I don't know. What are you feeling about this team? I mean, I'm not particularly excited about them. I know they've become like the media darling again, because it seems like this is, it's like, you know, Charlie Brown trying to kick the football. This is like, this is the football community's favorite team to consistently fall for them and the Browns, right? Um, right. At least recently. So, um, I mean, I think parts of the roster are exciting. I think Justin Herbert is 
a, a legit quarterback. Um, I think we're kind of expecting him to be too good, too fast next year in terms of like why this team might be great. Like, you know, basically everything that we're doing, everything that we're putting onto the Chargers is like, oh, well, they can be great if Herbert is suddenly a top seven quarterback. Well, he's probably good and legit, but expecting him to be top seven next year is probably putting a little bit too much on his plate, um, even with the good improvements I think they made on the offensive line. So I think the offense is worth being excited about to some degree. My problem, and I think our projections show this, is the defense. I think it's an extremely stars and scrubs roster, um, and I don't think it's particularly well built for what Staley wants to do, or at least what Staley showed he did in um, Los Angeles with the Rams. Maybe he adapts very well. I think he showed that he could with the Rams roster, but I just think there's a lot of holes on that defense that kind of give me pause about them being a team that's going to be good for this year. I see what you're saying about stars and scrubs there. Uh, there and, are just and, some, yeah. and one of their two stars is coming off a bad knee. Right. Like it's, it's just, it, I have a lot of pause with that. Roster. And, is Dur- and Derwin's among the stars, right? And mm-hmm. he's yeah. played one good year out of th- one healthy year out of three. Right. Uh, Ken, Ken Murray, Kenneth Murray, star scrub or like scrub trying to be star star trying to be scrub. Scrub trying to be star. I, I was not particularly high on him coming out of college. I thought right. he was fine as a rookie, but I think he's not yet somebody who's a difference maker. And I think projecting him to into that closer to star range probably takes a lot of improvement. And I'm not entirely confident he's going to get there, especially because I don't think the defensive line in front of him is particularly good and helpful. Um, so I, I just have a hard time seeing him be you know, one of the top linebackers right away. I think a lot of the expectations about the Chargers are just, well, look at what Brandon Staley did with the Rams defense. Now he'll do it with the Chargers defense, except for, first of all, the fact is, historically, there aren't a lot of defensive coaches that we can say, like, we know that they improve defenses because there just aren't a lot of defensive coaches that good who've coached for multiple teams. And the problem with Staley is the problem you have with a lot of these guys who are supposed to like dramatically improve a team, which is we have a sample size of one. Like we have one instance of Staley dramatically improving a defense. We don't know what he's going to do in his other stops. And this stop doesn't have Aaron Donald and it doesn't have Jalen Ramsey. It's a huge step down at both of those positions. I mean, uh, to, you know, Jerry Tillery or whatever at defensive end, assuming they go to a 3-4. And um, the cornerbacks are, I mean, kind of underrated. What's it, Mike Davis? Uh, But they're not Jalen Ramsey. I I think the cornerback room is weird because I I don't think Chris Harris is as good as he used to be. Um, I think losing Casey Hayward is going to not be very good for them. Michael Davis is like a fine number two, but you probably want somebody who's going to be better than that. And then the only guy they really brought in to fix anything is um, Asante Samuel, who's like a small rookie. He's like 5'8", 5'9", like 180 pounds. I think he could be good eventually, but expecting him to be an impact player year one is probably generous, I think. I get that Dallas Cowboys secondary last year where it's like, oh, we'll we'll plug in uh, Diggs. You know, as second rounder, a good prospect, and he'll be fine. And he's just utterly lost mm-hmm. for like the first six or seven games. By the time he starts figuring things out, you're, he's one of the reasons you're two and five, you're one and six, and you're already down the tubes. Yeah, Derek, you did the work last year on first round picks and how they tend to have good years at cornerback, but second rounders and third rounders, not as much. 
Yeah, that was pretty much what the data showed. Is like first rounders, one, they're going to play. Like unless they get hurt, the first rounders, they're going to be your starter. Some of that might just be teams don't want to have their first rounder on the bench um, and they're going to play them no matter what. But I think generally first round picks at cornerback played at a, like a pretty decent NFL starter um, level. Second rounders and beyond, um, you know, day two guys, it's really closer to a coin flip. Um, and I think especially with a guy like Samuel, who, like I said, is small. I think it's probably more likely that he falls on like the you know, side of the coin where he's not going to be an impact player year one, because one making the transition to cornerback in the NFL is hard enough. And when you're significantly smaller than almost every wide receiver you're going to face, that just makes it even tougher, I think. And then, I mean, the problem with cornerback depth is that you have to have a lot of it in the AFC West because you have to go up against Kansas city and Denver, which I mean, Denver for all the problems that they currently have at quarterback, right? They've got (laughs) really good receivers. So you want to have, cornerback depth in that division and the chargers just don't remember remember that like three-week period where they were going to revolutionize being all dime all the time and have seven defensive backs and that was going to be the future and the chargers had it figured out and then and then the patriots ran up the middle of them a playoff game you know they just, they just went power against them. like nope that's the end of that you know <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's shocking because it looked like they had the depth for that but of course darwin james looked like he was going to be a superstar now he's kind of an injury case as so often happens to the chargers Nasir Adderley is a guy I kind of like coming out of Delaware. Maybe I got the star around the last name, got me a little overexcited. I think he's been an injury case. He's kind of a tweener at this point. And, yeah, and I look down that depth. It's like, that's not impressive depth. Other Remember guys the Raiders have left have a good... the team. Adrian Phillips was part of that safety depth. He's gone now. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and the Raiders have a good receiving core, too. Don't lose track. I mean, they, they got bodies at receiver. Yes, Ruggs. Obviously, Edwards supposed to be better. Renfro. And, and the tight end that you have to cover with, with you know, D-Bay. And I think specifically with Staley, it's like it's not just that you need depth at cornerback, but you need a third safety who can play. Like that's a lot of what they did in their defense is they would that you know the extra uh, extra defensive back that they would bring in when they went six DBs was a, a safety. Right. And the Chargers don't have that guy. Like you know, I, I mean, I'm not even positive they have a second one because I'm not entirely positive that Nasir Adderley is that great. Um, right. But their their safeties after that are Mark Webb, who's a seventh round pick. Um, who I did not think was very good in college. Um, and then Aloki Gilman, who was a sixth round pick last year. So like, they just don't, they don't have that third safety that, that Staley is going to want in this system. I don't think. Every year now we get like five. Oh, he's the honey badger. Mm-hmm. You know, who is a D- D- divine Diablo? Who I, I think is a linebacker, but it's like, mm-hmm. no, look, they had him lined up in the slot. He's another. And you would have thought the Chargers would have gone after like every one of these Honey Badger as clones. You can grab the really good one in the second round, and then the the, the jokey one in the fourth round, and the Division Two one in the seventh round. But they don't do it, so that, that's not the direction they're heading in. And and part of that is, of course, it's a different defensive coaching staff. And you know, despite the success that the new coach had with the Rams, I don't have a sense on either side of the ball of these assistants at all and what they're bringing to the table. They're not names that I know, certainly. No. But well, I mean, probably, Staley, yeah. Staley wasn't a name that we knew. I mean, Joe Lombardi is a name that we know at offensive coordinator. <laughs> right. But I mean, he used to he used to work for the Saints at one point, right? Yeah, he, he was that quarterback coach. And that's the thing is that he had also previously worked with the Lions in like 2014, 2015 as their OC, I think. Um, but he was most recently with the Saints as their quarterback coach. And like, I... I think for a lot of reasons, the offense isn't really going to look anything like the Saints's. One, I, I don't think Herbert is that kind of, you know, quick game passer that Breeze was. I mean, granted, not very many are, but no, I just don't think... he's more of a deep passer. 
Right. He's more of a, you know, play action. You probably want to use Herbert the same way you're going to use like Ryan Tannehill, which is like an intermediate deep passer play action, all that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff. Um, And to me, it also just seems that the way they've built this pass catching core, I don't think they want to be under center very often. One, I don't think their running backs are really built to to run a lot of under center stuff. I think they want to be a gun team in terms of the running back personnel. And then Jared Cook is your top tight end. He's not a blocker. He's never has been. And especially now in his old age, I don't think he is. So I think they're a team who's going to be want to want to be a little bit more, um, you know, like spread gun with intermediate concepts and stuff like that. And I don't think it's going to look the same way it did um, with the Saints and Breeze. Blake Gardner 11 in the chat says he agrees the secondary for the Chargers has dwindled over the last few years. Uh, M. Noskow asks, what do you guys like what they did? Do you guys like what they did with their offensive line this offseason? I liked it a lot. I mean, paying Lindsley was, uh, I think, pretty good. I think it was a significant upgrade over what they had last year. Um, You know, I wrote it in, I'm writing it in my chapter but i think lindsley only allowed one blown block in pass mm-hmm. protection all of last year um whereas uh, i think it was dan feeney was like literally one of the worst centers in the league in terms of blown blocks so mm-hmm. quite a big difference in that regard and then i think taking slater was obviously really good and then trying to sign guys like odea bushi and matt filer to fill in the guard slot probably not going to be impact players but i think it could still be upgrades over what they had right i agree i agree they were getting old up front Mm-hmm. And I think that was, and now, and now, well, I mean, some of these guys are a little bit older players still. I mean, I still see Belago on the depth chart there, but they're not as old. It's not a desperate situation anymore. They tried to take young guys a couple of years ago, but those guys just never panned out when they had Lamb. Feeney right. and Lamb, and those guys just didn't develop the way they were supposed to. Right. Well, and I mean, then, how, how do you how do you write? I'm going to ask you to before. I didn't mean to interrupt you. How do you write this chapter, Dark, knowing that half these guys are going to get injured in some freak accident? Anyway? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess that's kind of, the, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I assume, let's see, they're, they're starting five right now. is Slater, Abushi, Lindsley, Filer, Bulaga. Probably at most two of them are going to be, you know, safe by the end of the year because that's just how the Chargers roll. They, they never a, get through the season with, with a healthy offensive line. The only guy that they had consistently healthy lately was Sam Tevy. And I'm going to be honest, that's not a guy you want to <laughs> no. be consistently starting. <laughs> no, and, and the first round pick is Slater. I mean, there is a plugged-in toaster falling towards his uh, washtub <laughs> as we speak right now. It's just ridiculous how this happens, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I'm sorry. I know you interrupted you in the middle of a thought there. I apologize. No, you're good. The other <laughs> thing I'm going to point out about the Chargers is I just was emailing with Derek about this, but I think a lot of the expectations are Herbert takes a big step forward in his second year. And I've done right. research showing that the most likely year for a quarterback to take a step forward is year two. But I went back and I looked at that, and it looks like the main reason why quarterbacks tend to take a step forward in year two is that they suck so much in year one. (laughs) If you look just at the above average ones from like the last 20 years, almost all of them were a little worse in their second year than they were in their first year. Luck was not quite as good in his second year. Wilson was not quite as good in his second year. Griffin... And on and on. It's like with Ryan, Matt Ryan, when you're that good as a rookie and Herbert was, you don't actually tend to take a step forward in your second season. So it's like everybody goes, so many guys go from a D minus to a C that the guys who are at A go down to a B, but they're they're overwhelmed in the data. So to yeah. speak, by all the guys going from stinking to adequate, like just sort of washes them out. I think that the That's best, good. most likely is that Herbert is about what he was last year. Yeah. Which is which is good, but combined with what we think the defense is going to be, is just not a playoff team. 
Right. I, I think that's the thing is like Herbert doesn't really need to actually be better to warrant him being a good quarterback. Yeah, I think the offense finished like seventh in, in passing DVOA. I think Herbert alone was like eighth in DYAR. I mean, he was like a, a pretty good and productive quarterback, even as a rookie. And so if he's not even really, you know, meaningfully better than that, he's still going to give them really good play. It's just like you said, I think unless he's literally a top three quarterback in the league in terms of production, it's really hard to see how he is good enough to lift the rest of this roster um, out from where it's going to need to go, especially because last year, I think their rushing offense was second to last in the league. And I know the offensive line is better, but I really don't trust their running backs. And I still don't think the offensive line is that kind of good to make them a, a legitimately good rushing offense. So it's just so much on Herbert's shoulders that, like I said, unless he becomes literally Patrick Mahomes level of jump, which is just, there's no way. I just don't see how this is a good playoff roster. Aaron tweeted that like his statistically he's, he settled in and kind of took a step back at the end of the year. Did you watch any late year film and see evidence of that or see reasons why that was happening? Um, Not really. Honestly, I think a lot of that is just, I, I would assume part of what that is, is that um, if you look at his, his full year of data, he was crazy productive on third and fourth downs um, okay. and he was crazy productive under pressure. So my assumption is just that some of that stuff kind of started to take a little bit of a step back towards the end of the year. Okay. Um, like he already started to have kind of a mini regression. Um, mm -hmm. But the good news is, and, and I'm writing this in the chapter, like he was still pretty good in a lot of the stable metrics. Like I think he was just above league average in terms of throwing against non-pressure and then in, in the pocket, um, you know, throws just in the pocket. He was well above average. So I, I'm not really worried about a total regression, but I think part of why he started to fall off towards the end of the year is that some of that crazy playmaking stuff he was doing wasn't quite working out, which is not to say that he's going to be bad. It's just that it, it's hard to sustain that at that level for very long, and especially when the, the chargers aren't like a, you know, they're not the chiefs level of, of, you know, caliber in terms of how they're built. This comes up a lot with young quarterbacks, but when they do better at the end of the year, we all expect them to roll it over into the following year, and it doesn't happen. Right. But the same can be said about Herbert. Like, young quarterbacks who play a little worse in the second half of the year, that doesn't roll over till the end of, to the next year either. So I'm not expecting, right. like, a big decline from him or anything like that. I'm just not expecting a big step forward. Exactly. No, I, I think that's perfectly fair. Thanks to the anonymous gifter who gifted a tier one sub to the FB Outsiders community, I cannot thank you by name because you are an anonymous gifter. So I just have to thank you anonymously. Um, okay, let's take a look at the rest of this division. Um, Kansas City Chiefs, great team or the greatest team? <laughs> Derek, that's on you, man. Um... I mean, I still think the roster is significantly more incomplete than the Bucks roster is. I think the, the Bucks just have fewer holes. Um, but the thing with the Chiefs is that their formula this whole time has been, we're going to be the best offense in the league, and we're going to try to just get by on defense. And, I mean, if you just look at the roster, that's pretty much what they're doing. I think, you know, this offseason, they put more of a, 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 an emphasis on making sure that Patrick Mahomes is protected and comfy in the pocket than giving him – just a boatload of weapons. I still think their pass catching core is fine because at the end of the day, when you have Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, you only need so much more. Um, right. But I think they're still probably not the greatest team because I think, again, I think the Bucks offense is just, I think the Bucks as a whole team are just significantly more complete. And I, I wrote about this in the chapter and we're probably going to get to talking about it more, but I don't think that defense is very good. And I think in terms of injury luck, like 
they were the luckiest defense in terms of injury last yeah. year. And I think assuming they even get back to average in terms of injury luck next year, things could get very bad very fast. I've seen people on Twitter, I don't remember who, but said this could be the best team ever. And I'm just thinking, no, that, that defense not on, is not not there, on one side of the ball, it certainly <laughs> no. can't be. Well, no. And and it's very much like the greatest show on turf. Very similar vibe where the defense for the Rams, uh, 1999, 2000, 2001, it was a fast break stop defense. Like if you're going to score points against them, you're going to get drives against them. They're going to get turnovers and sacks against you. And that's how the Rams operated when they had Warner and all them. And that's how the Chiefs operated on their Super Bowl runs. I would love to see another edge rusher. Or I would love to see a better cornerback. You know, that's kind of the two things I look at this. If your goal is, yeah, you're going to run up against, run against us, you're going to get a screen game against us, you're going to get short yardage against us, all those things that the Chiefs were willing to give up on defense. I need more than Taco Charlton on the other side of the ball from Frank Clark. They might have that other cornerback, depending on what they get from DeAndre Baker, who was the first round yeah. pick of the Giants, who was involved yeah. in that very, very strange story about a card game robbery yeah. and then yep. got off from that. And then he ended up getting <laughs> cut by the Giants and the Chiefs picked him up. And if he has first round talent, that's. That's, I mean, he's not even a starter for them, but that that's a huge that's a huge cornerback depth addition. Yeah. yeah. Good. Did did the Chiefs' offensive see Clinton? Did the Chiefs' offensive line simply go from strong tackles, weak interior, to a strong interior with weak tackles? Well, not with Orlando Brown there. Right. Right. I mean, I think Brown is. He's not the best tackle in the league or anything, but I think you're pretty set at that tackle position with him. Obviously, Mike Remmers is bad. <laughs> I don't think right. that they want him starting there probably longer than this year. Um, or their but I hope think, is that Lucas Nang like, grabs the like, job. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. So I didn't love him coming out of college, so I'm not entirely sold that that's going to really solve the problem either. Um, but I think, again, it, you can't really say it's like a bad tackles period when you have Brown on one side. They yeah. might be iffy at the right tackle position, but... I think other than that, it's a, it's a damn good offensive line. And they certainly have depth. I mean, the big problem, the thing about Tampa Bay, and we wrote this as last year's chapter, and then they were the healthiest team in the league, <laughs> is that Tampa Bay has very little depth. Uh, and I think Kansas City has, they don't, they're not as, all their holes are not filled with good players in the way Tampa Bay's are, but they have more depth. And in particular, their offensive line where they just got killed at the end of last year, they've added so much depth there for now that they could withstand a couple of injuries. Absolutely. And I am, I'm looking at the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I, I guess it's not terrible depth, but now after a healthy season, it's like unproven depth. <laughs> yeah. You go to this, you go to this guy and is he any good? We, we didn't see him last year. He doesn't look good on paper. Does he magically get good because of Tom Brady's presence or being surrounded by other players? We don't know. Whereas, yeah, everybody on the Chiefs bench will look at him and say, oh, yeah, he had to be a spot starter that one year or he was a former first-round pick or second-round pick, whatever. You can see the story where he comes in, plays five or six games, and is as good, uh, unless it's Tyreek or Kelsey or somebody, as good as the starter in that position. So the uh, the Denver Broncos, is there any reason to disagree with conventional wisdom here, which is this is going to be a very good defense, and there are a lot of pieces on offense that if they traded for Aaron Rodgers, this would be a big contender, and otherwise they're going 7-10, and 10, which is a record now that you can go. In the <laughs> yes. <laughs> Perfect for the Broncos, just in time for the 2021 Broncos. 7-10 right. season. Um, I mean, I actually think that that's uh, the conventional wisdom is like pretty spot on here. I think it's a really good roster and it's it's just missing the most important piece, obviously. And I think 
there's maybe a world where Teddy Bridgewater gives them better play than Drew Locke, but it's not going to be meaningful enough to to get this roster into. I think we you know, live the, in that world. the top seven. Yeah, we probably live in that world, but I don't think it's going to be enough to get them into the top seven range of NFL teams um, where they're like a legitimate contender. I think Teddy Bridgewater probably brings them maybe eking into the playoffs at best, you know, in a very, very edge wild card spot. But I don't think it would be a great roster without Aaron Rodgers. Um, I think he's, he would, I mean, I guess this is true of any team that Aaron Rodgers could go to, but he would be really the piece that kind of completes them and puts them into like a legitimately great roster. And I'll point out, we were talking about cornerback depth in the AFC West. This is the team that went out and built cornerback depth because yes, they now right. have Bryce Callahan, who's a very good nickelback, may not even be their main nickelback. And Ojemudia, who was a starter last year, is now their fifth corner. Right, and they got Darby now. And I, one, one thing, I my problem with the Broncos, and I look at it, and it looks very good on paper, and they're all out of first, second-round picks. I've never seen them all together at the same time. So you talk <laughs> about this great roster. I've never seen how it's supposed to look. It's not like, well, they were good together for six teams. Sutton and Judy have never played together or played together very sparingly. I forget which one. So I don't know how great this receiving core is because I saw one guy good for one period, one guy good for another period. I saw Hamler in these desperate situations look like a good slot guy. Kind of the same thing on the offensive line. You know, oh, this talent, this talent, this talent. It's never been a really good offensive line all at the same time. You can even do the same thing on the defense now where so many guys were hurt, unavailable, et cetera. It's like I can look at these names and say if everyone's rowing in the same direction, it's a good defense. I have a hard time making that big jump, obviously, Aaron Rodgers aside. I have a hard time looking at this and saying, oh, it's going to be fine. It's going to be good because, you know, all of them at one point in their career over the last six years look like look like they had potential to be great. Uh, they just have never done it at the same time on the same team. There's also the question of if they do make an Aaron Rodgers trade, what players would they have to trade away right. in that trade? There's right. not a lot of depth at outside linebacker if Bradley Chubb had to be in that trade. Yeah. There's a little bit more depth at wide receiver, but if Jerry Judy had to be in that trade, that would be a big step down. I mean, obviously, yep. look, you do the trade to get the this, this step up at quarterback that Aaron Rodgers would <laughs> represent, but – you know, the people look at this roster and think, wow, if you added Aaron Rodgers to this, but are you adding if if, if that does happen, you know, we all have to talk in the subjective mood here. Uh, but if that were to happen, are they adding him to the same roster? You trade trade Bulls away and then forget Rodgers. So he has no left <laughs> tackle, you know, trade Risner away. So you don't have the guy who's you know supposed to replace Bulls if something goes wrong. Yeah, there, there's no good answer on that. Yeah, I think what's really frustrating too for them, I think with this particular situation is that obviously like we were talking about with the depth that they have at corner, they're probably best equipped to trade away a corner. The problem is the Packers just took one. So they probably are not very inclined to want to bring in another one. They yeah. might, because I'm not sure how much they trust their, their cornerback depth to begin with. But like if they just took a guy in the first round, I'm not entirely sure they're going to, that's going to be the piece that really sends them over the top in a trade like this. And then the other, three team deal. the other thing I'm going to, oh, three-team deal. Now we're getting into deal. NBA territory. <laughs> yeah. The other let's, thing, let's get the Jaguars involved in this to broker this. I'm going to point out, and we have to point this out, being football outsiders and being analytics people and being associated with edge sports and talking about fourth downs, is that Vic Fangio was <laughs> yes. the worst coach in the league last year on fourth downs he finished last in aggressiveness index the whole league except for two guys was above the historical average um 
Like, I really want him to be more aggressive. He's, you know, he's got to be more aggressive. The Broncos have got to be more aggressive. I would, I honest, not that I think Vic Fangio is ever going to like suddenly get into the top five of that range or whatever, <laughs> right. um, because I think defensive coaches just are probably generally less inclined to be that way, um, or at least historically have been. Uh, but I, I do think part of that is probably they just straight up didn't trust Drew Locke in any capacity right. Um, right. over this past year. So I assume if they can get, uh, you know, any degree of quarterback play, they would probably get at least a little bit closer to average in terms of, um, aggressiveness and stuff like that. But again, I think when you have probably a bottom three starter in the league last year, and you're already probably an older defensive coach who is not as inclined to be aggressive, it's probably not entirely surprising that they ended up that low in that ranking. Yeah. No, we not surprising, but it's still a bummer. Yeah. We don't trust him on fourth and inches. So we're going <laughs> to win this game somehow by giving the defense the ball, and then he'll need to come back from first and ten. Like, you know, but that's, that's the defeatist mentality that you're talking about when you're a veteran coach. Oh, the defense will score. The defense will, will pitch a shutout. It'll be fine. Uh, Edgeman05 suggests the Lions, the Detroit Lions, for a three-team deal. I think, but yes, I mean yes, they can get a fun, But what are they? They, 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 they would rather end up with Rogers himself. Who, who's let's see who's a real like ankle biter here that we can tempt them with? Well, I mean Bowles is a is a Campbell kind of guy. I know they just pick pick. pick you know, Panay, they just but, pick the tackle, so they've already got they've got Decker and Sewell as their yeah. Even he, nobody's that much of a cement head. Josie Jewell. That's I was that's, about to say. Yep, <laughs> that's probably that, your best. That is Campbell Bait. He's Campbell Bait. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the last team in the AFC West before we move on to other things. Which is, what do you think of the Las Vegas Raiders? They, surprisingly strong playoff contender projection from us. And Derek Carr, like, constantly has better stats than his reputation. Yeah. I think Carr is, is good. I think he's – it's just – he has the Alex Smith thing where it's just frustrating that sometimes he's very clearly doesn't have any interest in throwing whatever the 15-yard route is and will very, you know, very quickly <laughs> rush himself to whatever the three-yard route is. Um, but I think generally he's someone who doesn't make some mistakes and is going to make your offense – at least as good as it's supposed to be on paper, if not slightly better. I think he, he's just a very, I think he's, he's very good in that sense. Um, and I think he's actually gotten better over the years at managing the pocket. I think early on, he was actually really bad at that. Um, and was kind of a product of having one of the best offensive lines in the league. Now I think he's gotten a little bit more self-dependent in that sense, even though I think the Raiders offensive line has still been mostly fine as of late. I think the problem again with, with the Raiders is going to be defense. I think they just, I, I don't think they fixed enough of what they needed to fix. Um, I really don't trust their pass rushing crew at all, even though they drafted uh, Malcolm Kuntz in the third round. I don't think that's going to be enough. I don't think their linebackers are very good outside of Corey Littleton. And, I mean, their entire secondary is just a lot of guys who I think have generally not been as good as they were supposed to be with their pre-draft billing. Hopefully Trevin Moore fixes that. I think he was a, a good pick. But, like, if they're still starting a guy like Jonathan Abram or giving Carl Joseph significant snaps, like, they're probably not going to be in the spot that they want to be. Right. Abram never really was able to stay healthy. He's kind of a runaround guy. I thought he'd be plays like a maniac. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's 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 a coach's dream. Mm-hmm. I, I remember interviewing him like this is a coach's dream. Like I want to go out there and 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 do nothing but run sprints and hit things, you know. But yeah, it's he was he misses tackles, he whiffs on them, he gets hurt, etc. The cornerbacks again. That's like the, the, all the Mike Mayock specials where it's like mm-hmm. you know Arnett going too early. Runs. Yeah, right. too early, too much of a well. He succeeded at Clemson, therefore he's you know this and that. My boy Divine Diablo is here. We just brought that up. 
Uh, and and more and Mooring's mostly a free safety, really. I mean, that's kind of his game. Right. So right. That's the he, back back end of your defense. Mm-hmm. He's the free. I mean, there's Abram and Joseph playing strong. They have Casey Hayward now. They brought in veterans. Yeah, they brought it in Gakwe. And Gakwe is not a bad a bad fit on that defensive line. I think that's a good. It, it's so much mush. It's kind of like Derek Carr. When you said Derek Carr is good, you have to say it with the high pitch. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. You know, you got to do that side by side. <laughs> Because because that's kind of where it is, and and you can do that with so many of the, like I said, the wide the receiver core was was good. I should have done the high pitch thing there. You know, it's a bunch of number twos and number threes with a potential number one on there, and then that's you go down this whole roster. You, and, and what do you get out of that? You get the team we've seen every year, who's six and four until the hard part of the schedule comes, or they get a couple of injuries and then they fall off. And they could do the same thing this year, or like you said, they could wind up nine and eight. Uh, because like a couple of things break right, and that's after four years of building, you know. And yeah. I think with Ngakwe, I mean, he's, I think he's a good pass rusher or or can be, but mm-hmm. he is so miserable in run defense uh, yeah. that I think that's going to be a problem, especially when like they don't have a very good run defense unit outside of him. It's not like he's like the lone blemish that they could maybe <laughs> um, scheme some stuff around and kind of hide him, like. They have a lot of other problems on run defense. They were one of the worst in the league last year, and I don't think they did enough to fix that this year. And then Ngakwe, like I said, is not going to do anything to fix that. If, if anything, he's going to make it worse. They got Diablo and Tanner Muse on their linebacking. On their linebacking. <laughs> linebacking. Uh, this, this is where the Chargers uh, dime dude guys, right. they, all went, they all went to the Raiders who aren't going to use them as like dime dudes, slat dude mm-hmm. honey badgers. They're going to use them as inside linebackers and get killed. Well, at least they're in a division where the other teams don't want to run that much. <laughs> you got that going for you, yes. Right? The Chiefs are pretty pass-focused. The Chargers, like you said, right? They're pretty pass-focused. Their backs are right. more pass-catching backs than they are, like, power guys. I-, I will say where that's somewhat interesting is that with the Chiefs, the Chiefs are, I think, I'm writing about this in the chapter because I-, I know I talked to you about this a little bit, Aaron. I think they're going to be a lot more of, like, a power-counter-gap type of pulling team yeah. where, where just the the – the personnel that they brought in with like Thune, Orlando Brown, um, Creed Humphrey, if he ends up starting, like these are guys that they want to have down blocking and pulling. And I think if the offense, the offense, you know, maybe the run pass splits are not going to look any different in terms of, you know, how much they're running the ball. But I think the way that they are running the ball is going to be a lot different. And if you're running power directly at a guy like Yannick Ngakwe, you're going to get the results that you're going to want to (laughs) get. I don't know. I saw Andy Reid with like John Runyon at right tackle. You're dropping the pass protect 60 times. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Right. The pass rush splits aren't going to change. Andy Reid right. is not going to change. He passes a lot. It's more the type <laughs> of running play, I think. And like what they run when they're right. winning by 17 in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody who's watching. Once again, it's the Football Outsiders Radio Hour on Twitch every Thursday, 1 p.m. Eastern. I want to thank all our viewers and all our listeners on the podcast network after the fact. Let's change the subject to talk now about rookie quarterbacks and when we think they're finally going to play. I know our old friend Bill Barnwell did a big ESPN article where he talked about when guys are finally going to play. Um, let's talk a little bit about when these guys are finally going to play and what we can expect out of them as rookies. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson are going to play from week one. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, Lawrence is completely uncontested, obviously. Zach Wilson you could probably make the argument that, you know, I mean, certainly I would make this argument that as a prospect coming out, he is not somebody who is ready to play week one, 
But the rest of the Jets quarterback roster is going to make it so that he has to play week one. Right, like, I think right. their other quarterbacks are like, it's like Mike White and James Morgan or, or something yep. like that. Like it's completely right. like zero chance of NFL starter outside of Wilson. So I think he's going to get the reins year one. And those are probably the only two that I would lock in week one. So you would think that they're going to, in Chicago, you would expect them to go with Andy Dalton instead of Fields. Because there's been a lot of people saying, oh, they should go with Fields. You know, maybe Fields will win the job. I mean, I'm with you. I think they're going to start the year with Andy Dalton, not with Fields. I think that one is going to be closer to a situation where they really try to sell us on this idea that they're going to sit Fields and that this is some, like, miracle you know, we're going to give him all the development we want. And then by week four, they realize they actually have a pretty good roster, except their quarterback sucks. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to start to play fields. I think, I think it's going to be a case where, you know, I I certainly don't think we make it to November without seeing fields. Um, And I think we're probably going to see him significantly sooner than that. I'm trying to gauge from the schedule. You know, they open at the Rams, you know, that, that's not a terrible opener to say, I'm going to put a rookie out there. But I can see you also saying, oh, no, no, Aaron Donald, uh, Jalen Ramsey. Yeah. Then you get the Bengals week, too. And it's like, you know, I, we, I've seen things where I've seen the Bill O'Brien switch, where the switch comes in the halftime of, of, of the opener. Uh, and I can see something that quick happening uh, with fields there. Because I, I think I mentioned this last week. Part of it is, is you know, what's optimal and what makes sense. And part of it is almost like the game within the game and the politics of saying, oh, we want to try and get two years of job security out of the rookie we just drafted. And some of that might be, you know, let's stick him on the bench for four games. Then you unveil him, he gets hot, and that's what saves our job. Yeah, they actually have their their tough defenses middle of the year. See, Clinton mm-hmm. points out week four against Detroit or week five against Las Vegas would be good entry yeah. points for fields. Because once yes. you get, you don't want him getting, let's assume Aaron Rodgers stays in Green Bay. You don't want him getting slaughtered by the Packers in week six as his first start. And then you go Tampa Bay, San Francisco, Pittsburgh. Those are tough defenses. Right. And then Baltimore after the bye week. It, right. Exactly. I think I think that middle stretch of it, you know, it goes, like you said, Packers, Bucks, 49ers, Steelers, Ravens. I think you have to get him in at least one game before that. Right. But completely wait for after it. Because right. if you throw him in, you know, at the start of that or in the middle of that, like you said, like you're tossing him up to defenses that are all presumably going to be in the top 10 again. And a lot of them are incredibly aggressive. Um, you know, the Steelers and the Ravens are some of the most blitz happy teams in the league. Bucks too. And, right. And the Bucks, Yeah. And part of the problem with with Fields coming out and I love Fields coming out. I think he's a great prospect. But part of the thing was like he will hold the ball in the pocket a lot, even if you blitz him. And if all these teams are going to blitz him. It's probably going to lead to some some pretty uh, noticeable rookie struggles in that regard. So, um, you know, I think like you guys are saying, he, he probably has to come in in that earlier stretch. I would say at least after the Rams, because after the Rams, that, that week one game, you, you get some decent ones um, for him to come in before that just disgusting middle of, middle of the season stretch. So <laughs> I would probably bet that he's going to end up in that, you know, week three to week five range um, with some of those cupcake teams. Or not cupcake, but easier than what they're going to get after that. And then, so next is Trey Lance. Man, you know, actually, I said Lawrence and Wilson are the only ones I expect to start week one. But I think the more I think about it, Lance is probably going to end up starting week one. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think I think Kyle is just done with the Jimmy G experiment. <laughs> I, I think... You know, it, it was a fine thing to try to take on, to try to get your quarterback for a second-round pick all these years ago. But between all the injuries, 
um, with the way I think Jimmy kind of failed him in the Super Bowl, um, with the way he played last year. I think like they're just I think Kyle is a bit done with this. And I think if Lance is even sort of close to ready, which I think he will be because he's the guy who has the most under center experience with this. Um, you know, coming out of college. And I think, you know, his quarterback coach, um, Quincy Avery, talked a lot about, like, he was the guy who had a lot of, like, protections and stuff on his plate at North Dakota State, which is obviously going to be pretty huge in the in the Kyle Han- Shanahan offense. So I think Lance is fairly equipped to start week one. Um, and I think, you know, like I said, if he's even close to ready, I think he's going to. I just started he's- a poll for our viewers, by the way. This is me playing around with the Twitch software. Which oh. quarterback plays first, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, or Davis Mills? So vote. <laughs> you can vote in that poll. Uh, so I'm you think so... Trey, Trey Lance week one. What do you think, Mike? I'm looking at Lions on the road week one, Eagles on the road week two. You can get your rookie quarterback out there, debut him on the road against two weaker teams. You know, going into Philly is not going to be anything. It's going to be demoralized. I don't know if that's the Eagles opener or not, but it's going to be the most demoralized fan base in the world. I, I live here. I know. Uh, so that's not a terrible thing. And I don't I don't don't look past the idea that Garoppolo is the first quarterback to get traded if some team suffers an injury, et cetera. Right. You know, they, they go looking around it's like who's our who's our stopgap starter, who we could float our Bradford, our Sam Brad, who could float as a starter for a year or two. And, you know, get him, you know, offer a second round pick, whatever. It could be Garoppolo. Again, like you said, if Shanahan likes what he's seeing in Lance. And then that leaves uh, Mac Jones. Well, it doesn't leave because we're going to get to the third round. But Mac Jones in New England. When does Mac Jones get his first start? I I don't think Mac Jones plays this year. I I don't think Mm -hmm. he. You think he'll stick with Newton all year? I think unless it is just disaster territory with Newton. Um, which I guess is possible because I don't think they fixed the offense all that much. Um, and Newton is, is obviously was not that great last year, still battling a lot of injuries, um, the, the handful of, of years. So I think it's entirely possible that Newton is just so bad enough that they are just like, ah, we have to put somebody else in. But I don't think Jones is going to get there on his own merit um, for a couple of reasons. One, I just don't think that he was that great of a quarterback prospect. Um I don't think he is at all equipped to do any of the, you know, outside of the pocket under pressure stuff um, right away. He's not a very good athlete. Doesn't have a very good arm. Um, so I don't otherwise, think he's re- right. <laughs> he's phenomenal. Well, but in right. Structure, <laughs> right. Like right. You know, identifying defenses and knowing where to send the ball. Right. Well, and That's my question plus. with, with what he's going to have to do in structure is that, he, he's been constantly billed as this great fit for what the Patriots did, like relative to what they did with Brady. But like Mac Jones didn't throw quick game at Alabama. They replaced mm-hmm. all of it with RPOs or just mm-hmm. running the ball. So like he didn't do very much of the traditional, um, you know, drop back quick game stuff, which is obviously what the Patriots were, were known for, for a lot of the, the time with Brady. So I think it's going to be a lot bigger of a transition than people are assuming it is for Mac Jones, which is why I don't think he's going to end up playing. Um, so, you know, maybe the offense just looks so different with Cam Newton that that doesn't really matter. Um, but I, I think it's kind of a big transition for him. And I don't think he has the tools to make up for not being a guy who's going to be ready very early. You guys are all sleeping on Brian Hoyer. <laughs> I can't believe they brought Hoyer back. Like, I don't I, – that, that, that has got to be a real diss on Jarrett Stidham there if they're actually <laughs> thinking of Hoyer as the third quarterback this year instead of Stidham. Well, I mean, Stidham's a mess. 
but you know, Bill Belichick and uh, and Josh McDaniels and geniuses, and also need to bring a mentor in to help them with in the in the room because they're not like, they're not mentoring enough on the road. Yes, yes, there's not enough leadership there. We have to bring Brian Hoyer in as well. So when Josh McDaniels tries to bite someone's head off, Brian Hoyer is there to say it's okay, it's okay, Mac, it's okay. I will, I, I will say I don't think there's a clear like this is the spot we start playing Mac Jones in the schedule for the Patriots. No. If they're actually if the defense rebounds, which I think they will, and they're contending for the playoffs, you don't suddenly go to the rookie for the last four games. Their bye week is very late. 14. Yeah, week 14. Like there's no clear like the only clear this is where we play the rookie spot might be like week five against Houston or six at home against Dallas. Maybe you'd rather do six because you don't want it to be we're benching Cam Newton after Tom Brady slaughters us like <laughs> right. See Clint, right. I can't believe people thought Stidham would beat Cam Newton for the starting job last oh year. I can't God. believe it's, that either. So. It's wish casting. It's wish- Belichick is a genius. This is the guy he drafted, and they telegraphed it out. They they emanated that story out of there a lot. So it's like, oh, this is the guy. This is the guy. But it's it was based on nothing. It was based on because it, l- l- the appeal to authority. Belichick could not possibly have given this guy this opportunity unless he was brilliant. And lo and behold, he, he's he's not. He's about as you know he's about as not not a prospect as a mid round draft pick can be. Yeah, it, it was just pure fan fiction. Like he's one yeah. of the worst quarterbacks yeah. I've ever charted, and I, I didn't think he was worth a draft pick period. And I think he went in the fourth round and then showed really nothing in his early time um, in the NFL. So I think the idea that he could have beat even a, a hobbled Cam Newton was just absurd to me. Every every year, there's the guy that gets drafted because of like the contrarian logic of the scout. Well, look how bad the supporting cast was and the Ian situation Booker. was. You know, it was Clayton Thorston. Uh, the Eagles drafted, and if you oh, he was you, awful. <laughs> you never had the you never had the the, the the joy of watching him in training camp, just like the fluttering balls all over the place, like a high school kid was out there. But you know, you would watch some of them. It's like, well, he didn't have any protection and he didn't have any weapons. Yeah, and he didn't do anything either. You know, <laughs> yeah, he he probably completed some screens and, and found his check down guy super fast uh, a lot of times. And like you build him up until he's this mid round pick because he's a good decision maker. And, and I and I think Stidham was that guy. Thorston was that guy. I'm wondering if there was that guy this year in, in the rookie class, because I feel like there might have been a couple of candidates, Ian Book. but I'm not sure if there was one. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if Book was so much like, oh, well, he didn't have a good cast, so we can prop him up. But Ian Book was the most one of the most confusing quarterback picks I've ever seen. Like, I even thought Kyle Trask in the second round was bad. But I at least like understood the thought process of how they got there. Yes. How the Saints got to book is just beyond me. Like I just don't. I don't know. <laughs> they wanted to see what would happen if Jameis and Tyreek Hill had a, had a child, <laughs> and they acquired like the sort of the weirdest elements of each person. I will say, as far as mid round picks, so I mean, you know, Kellen Mond is only going to play if there's an injury. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Kyle Trask will only play if the world ends. <laughs> <laughs> I'm rooting for the meteor now. I like that. But yeah. Davis Mills, Davis Mills has a legit chance to start some games this year, even if there's mm-hmm. no injury in Houston, because you've got to think that if if the Watson doesn't play for them and nobody thinks he will, and they're going to suck, that at a certain point, Tyrod Taylor is not getting you anything. You might as well find out what you got with the rookie. 100%. I mean, and I think the sooner that they can do that, the better. I mean, because like you said, like 
that, that roster, like, if they don't win a single game this year, I wouldn't be that surprised. They'll probably luck into one or two. Oh, I think they've got way too many mediocre players to go 0-17. There's, yeah. there's way too many players on that roster. Like, we tried to do a biggest hole for them, and we had a hard time figuring out what the biggest hole was because there's yeah. so many places that they've patched up with, like, two or three slightly below average guys. Right. Solid like they just have no firepower to, to even speak of. <laughs> <laughs> you got y'all are sleeping on uh, Ryan Lindley and Jeff Driscoll now. Porter. Oh my god! Yeah, I don't know why what they need Jeff Driscoll for when they have Ryan Lindley. It's, it's... <laughs> all of Andy Dalton's backups in one place. I, I'm writing the the Cincinnati Bengals chapter and the comments and things like that. I'm in the going deep section for the people who are like who caught six passes for the Bengals. Where this person caught six passes for the Bengals? Why not? Texans. Every single time they're on the Texans. You're grabbing <laughs> the bottom of the bench for the team that picked first overall one season and sixth overall the second season. You know, to be fair, if if the Texans got uh, Andy Dalton's current backup quarterback, they'd probably be in a pretty decent spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> and yet they didn't have a first-round pick for some reason. They've got exactly. a left tackle. They do. All right. Blocking for Ryan Lindley and Jeff Driscoll. The other thing I wanted to talk about on today's radio hour was MVP odds. And then we have a fun special special odds that Mike sent out right before we got on the air. But let's start out with MVP odds because I'm curious what you guys think. Um, I can't I, I don't quite know how to put this on the screen yet, but uh, <laughs> just to but if I put it on the screen anyway, people who were listening to this as a podcast would be out of luck. So can I share my screen or sitting up? Uh, yeah, the, share it on Zoom if you've got the NFL, if you've got the odds. All right, let me see if I can share screen here. Ooh. All Is right. Is that in any way visible? Yes. Woo! So these are the odds, uh, according to VegasInsider.com, for winning the MVP. And Mahomes is number one at five to one, duh. Rodgers at nine to one, Allen at eleven to one, Stafford at fourteen to one, tied with Brady. Then Lamar Jackson and Dak Prescott are at sixteen to one, and Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, and Justin Herbert are at twenty to one. I feel like Stafford. I mean, I guess the story there is if the Rams are the team that some people think they are, Stafford will get all the glory because it will be the quarterback trade that made things that way. I just I don't see the Rams no. being that good, and I don't think Stafford is going to have an MVP uh, offense. I don't see him as having an MVP year. I like, and I rarely like the favorite in these things. I like Patrick Mahomes so much at plus five hundred, at five to one right now. I'm I'm actually oh. on my favorite app. Uh, I'm going to unshare my screen here so people can verify this. Uh, I am actually on my favorite legal app right now. I'm trying to see if I can get five to one. <laughs> like Aaron Rodgers. I mean, not Aaron Rodgers, excuse me, Patrick Mahomes. Because, I mean, you know, I don't think you're going to, if he starts out three wins, throws nine touchdown passes, you're not even going to get that. I'm getting plus 450 on my app here. I won't say which one. We're not supposed to do that, I don't think. Wouldn't you say, wouldn't you say that Mahomes' chances of winning the MVP have to be close to 50%? I mean, probably. Because, I mean, why this is so, because if you look at the other guys that are up here on, on the odds, like, Aaron Rodgers, I mean, he's probably the second best quarterback in the league right now, but like, we don't know where he's playing. Like, we don't know if he's going to play in Green Bay. And if he plays in Green Bay, I'm not entirely sure, certain that that like situation is going to be, um, you know, lovely enough for him to end up playing at that level. 
Right. Um, and then if it's in Denver, like they'll be good, but we don't know that he's going to be in Denver. So I think betting on that now is like kind of weird. Josh Allen to me is, I, I think is probably due for some degree of regression where an MVP season is just not possible. Um, Matthew Stafford, I've never really been particularly right. as high on Stafford as other people. I think it's going to make, he's going to make the Rams offense look good and better than it was last year with Goff, but probably not MVP levels. I think in yeah. terms of MVP, like the best bet after Mahomes to me is probably Brady or honestly, I do like Lamar Jackson. I think it's a lot more likely he plays closer to what he was in 2019 than 2020, especially with some of what they did to fix the, the pass catching core. I like Dak yeah. Prescott. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, I think the plus. Cowboys are going to be really good this year, and he's going to be the biggest difference. They're not going to, people are not going to go, oh, look, offensive line is healthy. They're going to go, oh, look, quarterback is healthy. And he could put up some big numbers with those receivers in that offensive line. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have a plus 1,700 on my favorite app right now. And I will say, people are talking about Stafford. That just looks like sort of like casual better, name in the news, LA guy. I, I don't, I think they're just looking at that to just, to just drive action right now. I don't, I don't see, People would only take that plus 1400 because it sounds so tasty. There's so much meat on that that it's worth putting a goofy bet in. I, on the other hand, just put my goofy bet in on Patrick Mahomes locked in at plus 450 to win the MVP. So, so circle it. Old takes exposed. Let's hear it for, <laughs> uh, for gambling being illegal in New Jersey. Yes. Yes. It's delightful. It's uh, delightful. So many fun things are legal now. I will say it's interesting to look at who's lower down. Jalen Hurts at 50 to 1, Derrick Henry and Christian McCaffrey at 50 to 1. Like, can you imagine the season that Christian McCaffrey would have? Because think about it for Christian McCaffrey to win the MVP, Sam Darnold has to be good enough for Carolina to go to the playoffs. <laughs> like, that seems like a lot farther than 50 to 1 for me. I mean, and also, like, with Henry, like, how much better could he be than last right. year? Like last year was like, if there's going to be an MVP caliber for MB, MVP caliber season for running back in the modern era, it would probably look a whole lot like 2000 yards and 17 touchdowns. And it, I don't even think he was close to probably winning. Like it's just not right. going to happen. Right. And that's it. And so I see Dalvin cook at plus 6,600 where you can, you can create a story where he has like a, you know, 1800 yard, 20 touchdown season. It's just not going to happen for MVP. And that, that's one of the problems with, with betting on voting when you know that the voters are just in this headspace. I don't think running backs necessarily should be MVPs, but they have been in the past. You get a 2,000-yard season. It's not ridiculous to do it. Am, am I allowed to talk about this since I'm one of the voters? <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah, – well, I mean, there you go, right? It's like – I talked to three like, other voters, and well, let's not even go there. That's a road. Like, what would an MVP season even look like for a running back? I mean, it would have to be like twenty five hundred yards and thirty five yeah. touchdowns total. Like, it would have to be so mind blowing. And no quarterback, um, no quarterback would have a year that right, was as yeah. good as what Josh Allen did last year. Let alone, uh, right, let alone Mahomes exactly. or Rogers. Right, like that's honestly probably the part that is less likely. Like, I think not that a season like that for a running back is possible, but like I would be less blown away with that than I would be if with like no quarterback had an MVP case. Like that to me would just be insane. Seems there's always like one or two guys that have a pretty clear, absurd season. And you have a lot of since a lot of voters right now look at it and say offensive player of the year. The ground player, the all those are for the run. They're like running back awards in a lot of people's mm-hmm. minds. And once that's in people's minds, whether it is or it isn't, voters vote that way. Right. Yep. 
So that says, oh, you, you're going to win Offensive Player of the Year for that season. But the MVP is a quarterback award. That's yep. a, you know. I even put it out there on Twitter last year. How do you want me to vote for Offensive Player of the Year? And the winning choice was Best Non-Quarterback. There you go. And that's what I voted for. Right. C. Right. Clinton says, since MVPs are partly a narrative vote, Baker could be a long-shot dark horse if the Browns meet and exceed expectations. I, yeah. I mean, I just it's don't a think better narrative. <laughs> right. Same, I, same with Dak, though. You can do the same thing with Dak. Yeah, I like Dak better, I guess, for that story. Uh, even though Dak's odds at 16-1 to 1 are not as long as Baker Mayfield's odds at, at 33-1. Yeah. to 1. And then the other fun odds we have to look at that Mike sent right before we went on were these odds that some site is doing for the Madden 22 cover. So I'm going to remember how to share my screen. Uh, can you share, can you share these odds on your screen? I'm working on it. I'm an old man. Here we go. Sam. So here are your Madden 22 cover odds. Aaron Rodgers at 11 to two, Derek Henry <laughs> at six to one, Travis Kelsey, 15 to two, Aaron Donald, 15 to two, uh, Tom Brady, 17 to two, Dalvin Cook and Devontae Adams, 9-1. to one. Josh Allen, 21-2. to two. And Mahomes and Brady together at 12-1. to one. I like that. Wilson at 12-1. to one. Hopkins and Diggs are each 13-1. to one. And other at 15-1. to one. Aaron Rodgers is going to have to be in a suit. He's going to be in his Jeopardy suit. They yeah, know like, that, yeah, you're going to put him on the cover wearing that, that Packers jersey? I mean, or when you're just a close-up of his face with that angry look he gets on when somebody uh, runs the wrong route? <laughs> I like yeah. Aaron Rogers Donald. being number one is absurd. I like Aaron, I like Aaron Donald because they lot. haven't gone with a defensive player in a few years. And, and the Rams are like a pretty, you know, popular, trendy team that people like. And I think everybody knows how good Aaron Donald has been for, you know, basically since he's gotten into the league. So I think that's probably my my favorite bet, period, on this list. Henry would be the ultimate one for, well, first of all, you know, it's Madden and it's fun playing running backs in Madden. He is coming off that huge year. And, of course, you have to get the curse in line. So you pick the running back coming off of a million-yard season so you get the curse <laughs> in line. But let me ask this, though. They don't still do the thing. I'm, it's been a year or two for me with Madden. Uh, I can't seem to get near my PlayStation during a pandemic because there's a lot of teenage boys in the house. Uh, do they still do the thing where they base the cover to a degree on what new feature they're you know, that they're trying to promote. I don't think they've done that the last couple years. I was thinking that, too, right? Like, if there's new defensive – controls it'll be right. Aaron Donald if there's new running back controls it'll be Derrick Henry right. I don't think the last couple of years have seen that mostly because the the concentration has been on more play modes yeah rather than like the year that Lamar Jackson was on the cover the big thing was that you could play like street ball right <laughs> which so, is fun I mean the, the, the casual element of gaming, I understand why they do that. Josh they, Allen on the cover, and then they could have a fan mode where you put other fans through tables. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a career mode and where you prove the doubters wrong. You know, your new career mode, you know, you get you get pooped on by the analytics community for two years. Can you overcome it? It'll be like a it'll be like a, a challenge. You can un unlock the uh you know, unlock the uh, the, uh, the achievements. Yeah, I like Josh Allen at twenty-one to two. Buffalo's had a bigger fan base than the size of their market, and I think that the yeah. Josh Allen has proved the doubters wrong. Story is a really good story. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I'm going to stick with Henry. I would take Henry if I was. If I mean, my God, I'm not betting on a Madden cover, but like I would take Henry. 
Al, M. Nasco, they need to fix and improve franchise mode. Biggest disappointment the last few years with the game. Yeah, I feel like they could do so much better with the franchise mode. They could do so much better with the trade logic. They just, I mean, people must not play it enough. Plus, the fact is they don't make money from it. They make right. money from Ultimate teams, So that's the mode right. they're going to work on because that's where the right. money is. I've been wanting for years some version of NFL head coach the game. And I don't know okay. if if we could get a new game like that or just Madden doing something like that. But a- anything similar to that, I think, would be an incredible addition. That would yeah. probably bring me back in. The original head coach was really good. And they could put mm-hmm. a lot of that same stuff under the under the hood for Madden. And just, you know, if, if you don't want to play that type of game, you don't have to. You can play all the mm-hmm. other modes. But um yeah, there's no doubt franchise mode has been a bit of a disappointment the last couple of years. It's not really it's not really moving places. They're doing things like setting up so you can play street ball instead. Casual gamer, uh, cooperative gamer, all that thing. That's that's a big growth market. They're the only game in town. There, I, has there been a there hasn't been a blitz in years. There hasn't been like a casual football game in years. So nope. they expanded into that market, which has millions and millions of users, as opposed to the hundreds and hundreds of us who would be like, oh, I want I want a draft. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, a scouting department simulator, you know, and I want to mess around with that. I think the only sports that have competing games now are basketball and golf. Wow. And I, I don't even 2K. know if EA still does basketball. So it may not, it may know. only be golf. I have not heard about an EA. I've, I've played 2K for years, uh, but I have not heard of an EA game. I think so that's they, it. It's, they did NBA Live for a couple of years, but I think it may have died off because everyone just played 2K. So there are not sure. – they still do NBA Live, says M. Doscow. So they – Okay. Yeah, most sports now, it's just one game. That's your only choice. And sometimes it shows when you play them. The lack of competition <laughs> over multiple years. Like, yeah, the first year, it's still a high-quality version of the game when they start thinking in terms of a competitor. And then it shows that they're the only game in town. Yeah, I'm just happy to have MLB the show on Xbox this year. Yes. Hey, anybody out there knows how to get a PS5, please let me know. <laughs> See, now and we're not, truly like, on Twitch because we've become a gaming channel. Yeah, and not $1,400 off the back of the truck that my Uncle Carmine got for me. I mean, like an actual just PS5 for the this price. Struggling here. Struggling, struggling since Christmas. Next week, we're going to broadcast Mike playing Civilization VI. <laughs> I saw right before we went on the air, I saw you retweeting the Civilization VI account, having a like, who's the best Civ Six leader? And I'm like, oh my yes. God, that is such Tanya bait. And it, it was 100%, and I'm tweeting it like a madman. And, and I watch, I, I don't watch a lot of Twitch, ladies and gentlemen, uh, but but I watch Civ Six playthroughs uh, frequently here on Twitch. That's, that's my that's my entry point to this. And now, and now me and Aaron and Dark are Twitch streamers, but... Yeah, uh, yeah. let's do that. Sometime in the dead time, you, you and I will play Civ against each other, the three of us, the four of us, and Scott here, too. I still haven't uh, played Civ Six. I, I, I need to start uh, playing it. You do. You're, you're three years behind. I'm way behind. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up. Thanks, everybody, for watching on Twitch, Football Outsiders Radio Hour. A reminder, we're here at 1 o'clock Eastern on Thursdays during the offseason, 10 a.m. Pacific. Thank you, Mike Tanier. Thank you, Derek Classen. Thank you to everybody listening as a podcast or if you're watching after the fact on YouTube or if you're watching us live on Twitch right now. But remember, it's only by watching on Twitch that you get to interact with us live and ask us questions and we will totally respond to you. 
So you should make sure to tune in on twitch.com slash FBOutsiders. Thursdays, 1 o'clock Eastern. Uh, thank you, every much, uh, everybody. Thank you very much. I'm Aaron Schatz, and we'll see you all next week.